0: Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is, of course, the 6th of February, 2021. Now, this is gonna be part two of my mini lecture on adipokines. Remember, these are primarily peptide hormones that are synthesized in the adipose tissue. And where we last left off, I was remarking that adipokines like many other um, determined molecular events in the cell are named for their source and initial discovery. But once that has occurred, it's discovered that there are far more biochemical and physiological nuances that we can link to a given set, let's say, of biomolecules like the adipokines. So I left you last time by telling you that besides adipose tissue, Adipokines are made in various other cell types, uh, including immune cells, Um, but also chondrocytes, osteoblasts, osteoclasts, and synobiocytes. So I also explained to you that many of these adipokines have immunomodulatory activities, and this has been well described in two uh, major diseases of the elderly, all the rheumatoid diseases, which are basically autoimmune, and osteoarthritis, which, of course, is also autoimmune disease. So you've got rheumatic disease, osteoarthritis, and rheumatoid arthritis. All of those are linked to adipokine malfunction from one form or another. I also told you that besides the classical adipokines, there's a whole host of uh, newly discovered ones. And I started going through the list last time, and then I started talking about um, leptin, So remember that leptin, when you get hyperleptinemia, that is positively correlated with obesity and all the diseases linked to obesity, such as metabolic dysfunctions, type 2 diabetes, um, and of course, increased energy expenditure and insulin resistance. And that is the primary dysfunction that you get from hyperleptinemia. For adiponectin, hypoapodactinemia, ap- adiponectinemia, is associated with obesity. So when you have low levels of adiponectin. You are normally an obese person, but you also have insulin resistance, okay? And that's even more oftenly described with type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome. That makes sense because it's hypo. Um, adiponectinemia, whereas hyperleptinemia gives you much the same valence of diseases. Now, there's a third really important adipokine known as resistin, and hyperresistinemia is also associated with obesity and insulin resistance. In fact, higher levels of resistin are usually found in both the serum and in the synovial fluid of rheumatoid arthritis patients. And you find it in inflamed joints of those patients, and it induces an arthritis, which is usually accompanied with uh, an inflammatory response, right? Okay, so now I want to mention to you that obesity, of course, is in general a pro-inflammatory disease. You get hypertrophied adipocytes, And adipose tissue resident immune cells, these are primarily lymphocytes and macrophages, show up in the inflamed adipose depot fat. Now, both of those will contribute directly to increased circulating levels of pro inflammatory cytokines. That's why the obese state is also a pro inflammatory state. So, the obesity associated state of chronic low grade, sometimes medium grade, systemic inflammation is called metabolic inflammatory response. And it's actually a key um, fulcrum where you move on to full pathogenesis that's linked to type 2 diabetes, in particular insulin resistance, right? Uh, You see this in humans, but it's been well studied, of course, also in the murine model. Now, I can also tell you that liver and muscle can show an obesity-induced Inflammatory response as well. But the major tissue involved is going to be the WAT or the white adipose tissue. That's going to really mediate the systemic inflammatory response. So that's a key thing to recall now here. So if you've got a disease state that's linked to these adipocons. So again, adiponectin is low when you have intra abdominal adiposity, it is anti atherogenic. An anti-diabetic. High levels of adiponectin will decrease foam cell production in the cardiovascular system, it will actually enhance insulin sensitivity. It will decrease vascular remodeling, which is always a bad uh, cardiac event. And it will also decrease gluconeogenesis coming primarily, of course, from the liver. Now, another adipokine that you might not consider normally in this category is interleukin-6. I did mention it before. Now that interleukin-6 is actually pro-atherogenic, pro-diabetic type 2. It increases, of course, because it's an inflammatory cytokine, vascular inflammation, and it tends to tank insulin signaling, which means you get insulin resistance with IL-6, chronic IL-6. Now TNF-alpha, another pro-inflammatory cytokine, is also high in intraabdominal adiposity. It is also pro-atherogenic and pro-diabetic. It also decreases insulin sensitivity, particularly in the adipocytes. So there it acts as a paracrine hormone. Right? Now, another um, adipokine known as PAI1, also high in intraabdominal adiposity. It is also pro-atherogenic and it's more linked directly to atherothrombotic risk, such as ischemia, heart attack. Okay. Now, more details. TNF, tumor necrosis factor, was first described in the serum of endotoxin-injected in animals. So it's a cytokine that apparently, from this early study, mediated necrosis. And particularly, it was discovered that it mediated tumor necrosis. So there are over 20, actually, I think there are only 19 bona fide members of the TNS superfamily. And 20 to 21 different receptors have been identified. And there's much flavors of those 20 different receptors as well. All ligands of the TNF superfamily have been found to activate downstream the transcription factor NF-kappa B and the enzyme known as c kinase. Members of this family of uh, TNF have diverse biological uh, event ontologies, including the induction of apoptosis, which we've talked about a lot. The promotion, in fact, though, also of cell survival and the regulation of the immune system, both the innate and the acquired immune systems. And we've talked a lot about, t- about TNF, right? So you've got cd 30 CD40, the RANK, or R-A-N-K, and the TRAIL, those are all important receptor systems, and they play differentiating roles in regulating such physiological events as hematopoietic cell differentiation, and, of course, in the pathogenesis of a whole host and constellation of hematologic malignancies. We've talked about that, too. Now... Paper was published back in 2013. Let's take a look at this. This tells us that adipose tissue's primary function, of course, is to do what? Well, I won't wait because I know you can't answer me because I don't have have your microphone on. (laughs) But (laughs) adipose tissue's primary function is to store triacylglycerol. Take up glucose, synthesize triacylglycerol, store it either from synthesis de novo or from trafficking of the lipoproteins. But the, that not only does it store triacylglycerol, neutral depot fat, it also releases fatty acids during fasting, which is then how those lipids are liberated and utilized for bioenergetics and for the entire normal physiological responses in the body. So a major step to recognize that the adipose had major secretory and endocrine roles was when people started to do a real careful Um, proteomics in the white adipose tissue or the WAP. This started back in the 1990s, so it's relatively recent in terms of what else we talk about in canonical biochemistry. And it was shown that adipocytes synthesize secrete several pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as the one I just mentioned to you, TNF-alpha. But also adipocytes will secrete leptin and it was shown that leptin, as we told you all about this in the hypothalamus, regulates appetite and energy balance. Later, they had it, They developed data that showed that adipose tissue secretes not just these few adipokines, but some 50 or so more. Not all of them are called adipokines for various reasons, but they all carry out some kind of signaling. However, now they're lumped together in the adipokine family uh, because of basically their origin which would be the adipose. What do they do? Uh, We've already talked about it, but to generalize, they're involved in autocrine and paracrine. And um, in some cases, even what you might call endocrine, systematic control over a multitude of physiological processes. And what are those processes? What would you imagine coming from the adipose? Processes that are associated with bioenergetics, and that includes glucose metabolism, glycolysis, gluconeogenesis, pentose phosphate shunt, glucosamine biosynthesis, et cetera, and also, of course, the immune response. So adipokines can exhibit either a pro-inflammatory or an anti-inflammatory response or a neutral on inflammation vector response. So because of that, It's been well described because particularly the pro-inflammatory and then the anti-inflammatory response, which can follow as a sequelae, many of these adipokines have been linked to insulin resistance. So this goes back to the whole glucose homeostasis. So we know that adipose tissue in lean people will preferentially secrete the anti-inflammatory adipokines, which we've talked about already, adiponectin and TGF-beta. But also interleukins 10, 4, 13, and the antagonist to the interleukin-1 receptor known as IL1RA. And in fact, one more called epelen, which we have talked about. But it's been a while since I since I had that in lecture. Now, in contrast to that, those are the lean adipocytes. Obese people's adipose tissue will mainly release the pro-inflammatory cytokines. We've already mentioned two of them, TNF-alpha and interleukin-6, but also leptin, visfatin, and resistin, and angiotensin-2, and plasminogen activator inhibitor. All of those are also secreted in the obesogenic state, and they are all pro-inflammatory adipocines. So, In lean individuals, you have anti-inflammatory dipokines and those are gonna mediate, um, basically, the multitude of physiological functions and as well as control the immune inflammatory state. That means that it's gonna be linked with these dipokines, metabolic diseases. Pro-inflammatory dipokines modulate insulin resistance, uh, sometimes directly, uh, and they can also affect the insulin signaling pathway subcellularly. They can indirectly be a stimulation of the inflammatory pathway, carry out these multiple functions, right? So serine phosphorylation of the insulin receptor substrate that's known as the IRS, remember, by a whole host of adipokines, directly, usually via an inflammatory response, including the C-JUN N-terminal kinase pathway, and the I-kappa B kinase pathway, and the NF-kappa B pathway, All of those will tend to disrupt insulin signaling pathways, and that will give you then the phenotype, the pathophenotype of insulin resistance. So adipokines can be enlisted in the regulation of insulin resistance, uh, and this is very well described in the murine model, but also in humans. And again, these are going to be the um, anti-inflammatory, epinectin-resistant visfatin, k TNF-alpha, and then a whole host of those cytokines, okay? And you also get a couple of interesting things like monocyte chemoattractor protein one and retinol binding protein four. So keep in mind that you have these prototypical adipokines and you have at least another 45 that are not prototypical, but that have been described indeed in great detail in the last 10 years. So more on TNF. It used to be called cachectin, because it causes cachexia or wasting. It's produced by macrophages and mast cells, what was first described. TNF-alpha, therefore, is a pleiotropic inflammatory cytokine. Now, remember when I told you in the adipose you can make TNF-alpha? Remember the adipose is embedded with, in the obesogenic state, macrophages and lymphocytes. It's that source from gene expression, protein synthesis from those sources of those immune cells embedded in the adipose tissue in the depot fat tissue that are generating TNF-alpha. Target tissue for TNF-alpha is usually tumor cells, obviously, but also the inflammatory cells. It has a cytotoxic effect. It can induce further cytokine secretion, so it's pro-cytokinogenesis. And it's responsible uh, when high levels of it are circulating for extensive excessive weight loss, which is known as cachexia, that's, no, that's normally uh, noted with late-stage cancer or the wasting stage of cancer. And a major a phenotype of that, of course, is chronic inflammation. That's all tnf alpha Now tnf beta has a different name in the literature. It's called lymphotoxin, and it's also produced by Th1 cells and also Treg cells. Now, its target tissue is also tumor cells and macrophages and neutrophils, interestingly, it is cytotoxic in nature, and it has some, similar effects to TNF alpha in that regard, but it also intracellularly enhances phagocytic activity, which you know then has to do with the old presentation of antigens on the surface of cells via the MHC class uh, receptor um, responses, and then therefore signaling to T lymphocytes and to innate immune cells such as dendritic cells, and of course, macrophages, and mast cells. Okay. So TNF-alpha and TNF-beta then do have differing roles. Now, remember that what happens when a cell um, is induced to go through necrotosis or apoptosis. Um, in necrosis, you get, first of all, organelles start to degenerate. Small blebs of intracellular fragments which are membranous and proteinaceous and also have a little bit of nucleic acid and stored carbohydrate. Um, That occurs, and then the nucleus itself starts to undergo a structural change. All of these different broken-up subcellular organelles then fuse, and they become a, a large conglomerate, but at this point, all the organelles in the cells have been degenerated. Ultimately, then the cell membrane will rupture because of all these potentially cytotoxic intermediates, and that will release release the cell's content. And of course, that necrotic event is going to induce inflammation locally and perhaps even uh, long distance peripherally. Of course, with apoptosis, this is what used to be called self-digestion in the older literature, the nucleus does not really dissociate until after the DNA fragments, then the cell will actually break into apoptotic bodies and all of those organelles are then consumed by the innate immune system. So that self-digestion tends to prevent a massive pro-inflammatory response. Now I'm just telling you these adipokines can function at that level, right? So for example, TNF-alpha, and as comparison to the CD95 ligand or the FAST ligand, TNF-alpha and the CD95 Fas both are recognized as death signals, okay? So they will bind to their receptors, and the receptors are called death receptors. And then cytoplasmically, on that portion of those um, transmembranous receptors, you get the death domains, okay? So death signals like TNF-alpha, death receptors like CD95 or the TNF-alpha receptor, frankly, then ending up in death domains where they do the intracellular work that we were just kind of generally describing. And so when those ligands bind to the receptor, it induces them to cluster and usually make trimers. Okay, so they trimerize. And then um, depending on which one it is. But for example, the FAS-associated death domain protein, um, it basically gets recruited via the death domain itself. So the DED, which is known as the death effector domain of, e, of the FAS-associated death domain protein, or the FAD, recruits then the enzyme known as Procaspase-8, uh, which remember, of course, is a protease. And so that's now in the, the cytosol and the activated caspase-8, which, which then has to heterotetramerize, gets released from this disc complex, which is part of the death domain change, holding, of course, the FADD, and then releasing the procaspase-8, all that then gets released, uh, the enzyme caspase gets released in the cytoplasm. So the fad caspase complex brings multiple procaspase-8 molecules in close proximity, which enhances their performance. So that induces what's known as a proximity aggregation and it cross activates, and then ultimately you get the death destruction of that cell, right? So that's the intracellular mediated responses. So caspase 8 actually cleaves proapatotic BID protein or BID protein. BID then interacts with the proapatotic BCL2. Relatives, backs and back, BAX and back, all of that then amplifies the apoptotic induction. This is called the cell extrinsic pathway moving through the death ligand. Okay, this was first described way back in Nature papers uh, coming in the late 90s, and early 2000s. Don't worry, I'll put uh, the relevant papers in the show notes. Okay. So TNF alpha can signal to the NF kappa B transcription factor. So NF kappa B factors remember are anti apoptotic right e- depending on the cell type so they'll activate the pro survival bcl11 and the so called iaps they'll also activate uh, along with this anti apoptotic pro survival mode the pro apoptotic fas fas like and dp53 A third component of this TNF binding, which can be overall anti-apitalic in nature, is actually initially turning on inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, immunose receptors and growth factors, and indeed cell adhesion molecules and matrix metalloproteases, and that becomes the central immune response that is occurring simultaneously with a generative programmed cell death. But at that point, when the immune system shows up, you get a tissue-specific decision that is made because of the interaction of all of these highly um, biologically active intermediates, cytokines, chemokines, and the whole death response, right? Ultimately, then, the correct fusion of all those uh, of the induction of those trimers and tetramers or dimers that become the functional motif, which will decide for cell fate, give you a combinatorial response that will then create a promoter enhancer region, and that ultimately will y- yield the NF-kappa-B transcriptome, okay? So if that's, if that's a good generalization so that you get that. So the t- TNF-alpha can signal to, to NF-kappa-B uh, which will then generate all of these transcription factors. So you can get IKB bound to P50 and P65 that will cause a phosphorylation of the IK-beta IK kinase. Then you'll get a ubiquitin of the IK-beta. You'll get a degradation of the IK-beta, and that's going to, of course, go through the, the 26S ribosome uh, proteasome. But then you're going to get ultimately nuclear translocation of the P50, P65, and that's going to be your transcription factor, ultimately. So in the cytoplasm, NF-kappa B is inhibited by I-kappa B, and that's going to be a direct inhibitor. But I just told you that gets ubiquitinated upon phosphorylation. So the IKB is one of the NF-kappa B early targets. And that then will provide the overall regulatory loop. This is how you can generate then going from a proapoptotic, apoptotic to an antiapoptotic mode, depending on the valency of the IK beta pathway, which involves the proteasomal pathway after phosphorylation. Okay. All right. Now, when NF kappa B is an antiapoptotic factor, um, of course, apoptosis gets blocked. And the NF kappa B has to generate transcriptionally via a, a, a component of the valency of the pathway I just described to you of genes which are anti inflammatory and anti apoptotic, such as those genes regulating autophagy or such as partial degradation of the mitochondria and peroxisomal complexes to, an, to allow for larger aggregates of mitochondria to form to maintain bioenergetics in the cell and turn on a cell survival mode, right? So NF-kappa-B inhibitors are actually sometimes classically used in chemotherapy. These are the non-programmed death type of chemotherapeutics. Of course, those are all going to be biologics, not chemotherapy, but biochemical therapy, right? And some of the um, synthetics, such as aspirins and traditional, like even green tea and cucurbin, curcumin, excuse me, actually target through this NF-kappa-B pathway. The aspen, of course, working through the cyclooxygenase, and curcumin actually working directly with uh, controlling the synthesis of anti-inflammatory cytokines like IL-10. Now, again, this is not a canonical feature, right? But it has been demonstrated, mostly in murine models and anecdotally in humans. that would say. So tumor necrosis factor, of course, arises from a superfamily. You have a type 2 transmembrane protein. So you have the internal side of the cell and the C-terminal on the outside of the cell. It shares, of course, a sequence homology in that extracellular domain for this superfamily. The biologically active forms of all of those are must bind ligand. And then they're going to assemble those trimers, as I just told you about. Okay. Many of the tumor necrosis factor members of that superfamily are initially cleaved by a biologically active uh, uh, soluble forming enzyme complex, which of course are going to be convertases or proteases. And so multiple of these convertases must be ne- are necessary for the tumor necrosis factor receptor mediated response so that she had another um, more plenum-fluorid response. And I wanted to add to that because I wanted you to know the details because that's the truth, right? All right. Now, you in the superfamily of TNF, you've got the rank ligand, also known as the trans receptors, and then you have rank by itself. You also have the OPG, and those are part, the OPG is also part of a subfamily of TNF receptors called the trail or APO2L receptors. That includes the OPG, and then the R1, R2, R3, and R4 death domain structures, some of which have the death domain going into the cytoplasm and the R3 not having that. Then, of course, you also have the CD4 to CD30, uh, which we, we briefly mentioned a while back. Okay, so, Remember that this whole adipokine story has been well-described in cardiovascular disease linked to obesity. So I'm gonna leave you with this. Cardiovascular disease can be associated and correlated with abdominal obesity, dyslipidemia, glucose intolerance, and in fact, even what? Hypertension, right? So all of these are necessarily part of the literature on adipokines. And so when you see adipokines come in literature, it's usually about something associated with these major causes of death, particularly in the elderly, those diseases like cardiovascular disease. So I'm gonna stop there. Hopefully that little additional primer on adipokines will allow us to go back in to talk about some of the neurochemistry and some of the liponeurochemistry that's going to lead to the morbidity of aging and that's hopefully what i'll be able to put together next time again it's the 6th of february it's a saturday and it's the uh year 2021 dr dan guera and what i'm doing is I, I always do i'm saying bye at the end of my talk anyways bye for now